Hello and welcome to the Victory Devotional Podcast. We invite you to take the next few minutes to connect with God, hear His voice, and respond in worship and prayer. Here's today's message. All right, let's continue to to honor God in our midst. Father, thank you. Um, we, as we declared, Father, there is joy, there's victory, Lord, in you, Lord Jesus Christ, because uh, you said in your word not to take heart because you've overcome the world. Father, we're grateful that um, not only because of the incarnation, but because of the work of Christ on the cross, Father, it is possible for us to experience your joy and your victory as well. So thank you. We open our hearts and our minds and our ears to hear from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Um, as, um, um, again, a brief uh, study for this next several days, we are looking at the, the reason for uh, the incarnation, the birth of Christ. Though this particular text we're going to be uh, looking at, reflecting upon, is not directly a reference to the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, but yet it is still uh, the truth that we can glean from this passage is something that will help us appreciate what Christ has done for us. And so I'm, I want to read out of the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 to 18 in the NIV version. And let's hear the word of God. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has come and the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, you know, we're in the midst of a, the second letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. And uh, uh, he was addressing some challenges to his apostolic ministry, as well as bearing his heart concerning the persecution that they were experiencing in the region of Asia at that time. Uh, so this is... Um, uh, you know, it's not clearly said what happened between the first and the second letters, but during this time, this was what was happening. Apparently, there were people uh, who had gone to Corinth uh, and were undermining and even opposing the work that he had done in establishing them in the faith to the extent that Paul actually had to write a severe letter. Okay, it's in the context. You can read that in the earlier chapters of this uh, epistle. He wrote a letter uh, asking them to discipline these opposers. And to his comfort, the, the Corinthians responded to his plea. Now, you could glean from this text, uh, from this letter, and even from this text, the sense of the father heart uh, of Paul 
to protect his children from deception and wrong doctrines so that their foundation in the faith would not be shaken. So, uh, you know, uh, when you read Paul, he, sometimes he comes across as just very cerebral, isn't it? That, um, uh, you know, he's, he's just very scholarly and academic. But no, you, he, you, in, in this particular text, you'll feel the heart of Paul. I mean, he's, he, though he never married, but he had the heart of a father wanting to ensure that his children are protected from deception, from any threats to their well-being. And so that's the sense in which Paul was writing this letter. Despite, you know, the accusations made against him. In fact, you know, some of the churches, um, again, he gets very personal here in, in, in a way. So um, we learn some things about not just Paul's heart, but really God's heart for his people. Now, he was motivated by two things here in this text. Number one was the fear of the Lord. He says, now we know what we, it fears to, let me read it again. Since we know what it, fear, it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. Now, you, you, I didn't read the previous text, but you can read that as well. The fear of the Lord in this case is not just a reverence and awe towards God, which is really the right appraisal. Uh, you know, the fear of God sometimes evokes certain things. Now, uh, the Lord can be terrifying. I remember when the Israelites were in, in Mount Sinai and they heard the voice of God. It was so thunderous. Uh, it was so scary. I mean, they, they feared for their lives. And, and, and sometimes that's a good thing, you know. Uh, you know, sometimes we give too much credit to the demonic forces. We get afraid of them. No. You know, when, when, you, when, when angels even come, I mean, they're even more scary. So, uh, so there is a, a reverential awe that is due God. But in this case, the, the, the fear of the Lord that Paul was talking about was the fact that he was going to give an account of his life to the Lord. And guess what? That's true for every single one of us. I remember what a few weeks ago when I shared about the power of the tongue. And, and in the world that's unleashed with so much offense and ranting, let me tell you, we will give an account for every careless word that we speak. And so it's important for us to think of that time when we will stand and give an account for everything that we've said and done. And, and so that's what motivated Paul to write his letter. The other one is the, comp the, 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 the compulsion, if you will, because of the love of Christ. As he said, for God's love compels us because one died for all. So he says here that the love of God was motivating him. The fact that Jesus Christ sacrificed himself and suffered and died even though he did not deserve it. That was what motivated him in his ministry towards the church in, in Corinth. And, um, uh, you know, this motivation uh, caused him to relate to the, desire, to the church in a very plain way, as he says here. He's not using manipulative taxes. He's not motivated by anything except to simply be an, uh, the representative of God to the church um, so that he can actually distinguish himself also from those other teachers who had other motives. Um, and because of the understanding and the, 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 the saturation of that knowledge of the love of God and the fear of God, it changed the way he related with the people, uh, with God, first of all, with the people in the church and even in the world separated from God. And that's really what we can learn from this text this morning. Uh, how much are you filled with the knowledge of our standing before God to give an account of our lives and the depths of Christ's love for you? See, the more you understand that the love of God 
and the, 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 the accounting that we give, uh, we will give before our Lord, it will change the way, not just how the way we live our lives, but it will change the way we relate with God, with other people in the spiritual community, and also with the lost world. And that's what we want to pick up from this text. I want to share with you three attitudes of Paul towards others. First of all, his attitude towards God. We see here, let me read again. Uh, he says, um, and he died, verse 15, for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So number one attitude of Paul towards God, Paul lived to please God. He's not just living for himself anymore, for his wants, his desires. In view of what God did for him in Christ, he said, how can I still live for myself because of the great sacrifice of my Lord? There's no other motivation for me, or at least in the way I relate with God, than to want to please Him. Actually, this might surprise you, it's not actually difficult to please God. Because Hebrews 11, says, 6 says this, Without faith, it is impossible to please God, because those who come to Him must believe that He exists, and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Actually, it's faith that pleases God. And so, uh, this is what Paul lived for. In spite of the persecution and the false accusations against him. His aim was to live for the purposes of God. You know, honestly, that's been a challenge for me because of the suffering, of the difficulties, of the trials that I have gone through myself and, of course, many people from our churches. You know, it's easy to live for God, isn't it, when things are going well. But what about when times are tough and your circumstances are difficult? Can we still live to please God? Well, let me tell you, it's not in vain, our act of faith to please Him. Because God does reward, as Hebrews 11, 6 says, God rewards those who earnestly seek Him. The second attitude that Paul had, uh, the first one was towards God, the second one was towards God's people. And it's this, Paul related with God's people as new creations in Christ rather than in the flesh. Let me read the verse again. Uh, from now on, verse 16, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. We see here that Paul saw beyond the carnality and the immaturity of the people of God. And the reference point is how he saw Christ himself. Isn't that interesting? He said he regarded once, uh, once regarded Christ in a manner after the flesh. Well, what was he referring to? I believe he was referring to the time when before his conversion, remember in, in Acts chapter 9, he was on his way to Damascus to persecute the disciples. Uh, at that time, as a Pharisee, he was very zealous for the things of God and he thought Jesus was this self-proclaimed Messiah. Uh, you know, and he had them put in prison. He was there uh, giving approval when Stephen was stoned to death. I mean, Paul was a... Uh, an instrument of persecution and even uh, you know, opposition against the work of Christ. Can you imagine? He was an enemy of Jesus. And guess what happened? Jesus appeared to him and all that happened. You know, uh, it's always fascinating, isn't it? When some of the most, uh, when the, some of the people most opposed to the gospel encounter Christ, I mean, they to are totally transformed. And so that was a reference point because he saw Christ before in the flesh. Now he saw him for who he was. It changed the way he related and saw people. He saw beyond uh, their immaturity, their, their, their uh, 
you know, their fleshly uh, motivations. Now, I'm not saying that he simply, uh, you know, uh, overlooked them, but he saw beyond their immaturity and saw them as new creations in Christ Jesus. And that's very important. How do you see the brethren? How do you see your brothers and sisters, especially those who you have perhaps offenses against? Do you see them in their carnality or do you see them the way God has worked in their lives to become a new creation in Christ? Because as he says here, if you're in Christ, if you've committed your life in Christ, God does a transforming work. Now, it's a work in progress, okay? Hindi pa perfected po yon. Alam po naman natin yon. In fact, this understanding of us, uh, us, God's people, as new creation, not only applies to others, it should also apply to you and me. And sometimes we need to be reminded of that, that you are a new creation in Christ. Why? Because often the enemy tries to condemn us, to make us, every time we fall, we stumble, we think, what's the use of following Christ? You know, your, your, your habits, your sinful attitudes are, are still uh, at play. Remember, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. It's a work of, it's a sanctifying work that the Lord does in us. And so my brothers and sisters, seeing others as new creation starts with us. That we are a, a work of God's grace. And I don't know about you, but that sets me free. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. Now, do we tolerate fleshly attitudes? No. We ask the spirit of God to give us the grace to say no to ungodliness. But the point is we see people differently uh, rather than just simply in the flesh. And this is so important. I, I remember also some, some months back, uh, I, I've, I've been discerning this, that the spirit of offense has been unleashed into the world. And it's causing many people to be offended at every little thing. And the warning in Matthew 24 is this. At that time, many will fall away from the faith. And I, I remember, I think I shared this before. The word fall away is the word scandalizo, where you get the word scandalon, which really is an, a bait for an animal tra a trap, which Jesus referred to as offenses. And the warning is this. If we do not resolve the offenses that we've done against people and the people have done against us, it could actually cause people to fall away from the faith. And so brothers and sisters, let's allow the Spirit of God to change us in such a way that we see beyond the offenses that other people, especially in the spiritual community that we're part of. And watch and see what God does. And finally, number three, Paul says, we are ambassadors of Christ, commissioned to be ministers of reconciliation. Paul said, you know, we didn't read the rest of the text. You can see it. Uh, it. It makes a specific reference, an ambassador. You know what is an ambassador? An ambassador is a position of dignity, isn't it? You represent the sovereign state of a particular country. In this case, we represent Christ and his kingdom. And even though the world is hostile towards God and even towards us, guess what? We're, we were come to bring peace, not war. There will be a time when Jesus will come back a second time, and that is to bring his wrath and his judgment against all unrighteousness and wickedness. But you know what? The fact that that's not come yet, that means the Lord is patient. He doesn't want anybody to perish, but to come to a saving knowledge of the truth. And so, uh, you know, this is a challenge for all of us. Can we be patient when we see wickedness, when we see injustice, when we see wrath, 
when we see unrighteousness happen. I'm not saying to, to just let it be. No, there is a place, obviously, in a societal dimension where we should speak out and protest against unrighteousness. But my point is, on a personal level, we represent Christ. And let's be a little more patient, isn't it? Why? Because Jesus was patient with you and me, isn't it? And so we come to represent even those who are enemies of Christ and our enemies, we have an opportunity to be his ambassadors. And you know what? That actually disarms people when they know that you are uh, you know, coming not in hostility, but in, in a conciliatory manner. And may that grace be upon every one of us, especially in this Christmas holiday, isn't it? We have an opportunity as we minister to our, as we spend time with our loved ones, with our friends. And so in conclusion, when God has changed us, it, tra change, it transforms the way we see and relate with Him and with others. Let me say this. I remember sharing this before as we close in prayer. You know, every time a baby is born, it changes the lives of the parents and everybody else in the family, isn't it? I have, my wife and I have four children. Every time one of our children was born, it changes us. You know, we have to buy clothes. We have to sleep late at night. We have to change our lifestyle. Those of you are parents know this. And those of you are children, I think you should appreciate your parents more for the sacrifice that they've done. But guess what? When this baby was born, it not just changed the lives of Joseph and Mary, it totally changed the world for the good. And so let me pray as we end our time. Father, thank you for the birth and the life and the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. In a way, Lord, it's, it's um, the saying is, he was born to die. As much as we celebrate the birth of the Messiah, yet ultimately, he came to give his life as a ransom for our sins. And Father, our hearts are humbled by that great sacrifice of love. And as Paul says, Lord, the love of God compels us because one died for all and therefore all died. And he died that we may not live for ourselves, but for him. May that be a new motivation for us to live for you in a new way. Bless our time with our family. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, come let us adore Oh, come let us Oh, come there.
let me say it again. Have a blessed Christmas and uh, let's look forward to the new year. Let's believe God as early as now. We want to encourage you to join us for the prayer and fasting. That's the last thing you might want to hear, isn't it? To hear about fasting in a time of feasting. All right. God bless you. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us today. We hope this helps you build a habit of hearing from God daily. For more messages like these, follow us on Spotify or Apple Podcast. If you'd like to watch these messages every weekday morning, visit us on facebook.com slash victoryph.